how large of a barrier for you personally do you feel like insurance was? I'd say it was a very large barrier because I think at one point, like once I did get more awareness of it when I was uninsured, I didn't seek any sort of resources in terms of a paid treatment because I knew I was uninsured and I knew financially it would be very hard on my family to access those services. So yes, not having insurance definitely was a very large barrier because I didn't get opened up to all of these services until I got my insurance. Hello and welcome back to the Teen Health Matters podcast. Teen Health Matters is a project of the Behavioral Health Bureau at the Howard County Health Department designed to connect you, your friends, and your family with information that best addresses all things teen health related. You can find our previous episodes as well as additional resources on health and well-being at teenhealthmatters.org. My name is Katrina McDonald and I'm one of the behavioral health interns at the Howard County Health Department. I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Renee Ellisesser, and our guests, Rebecca Dietz, Ash Kim, and Leah Bolka. With a growing need for mental health care in the world, with limited resources, accessibility is a problem many of us face. And it's difficult to know where to turn and how to start. But Rebecca and Ash are here to walk us through this process. To kick off our conversation today, Rebecca, would you be able to share a little bit about your professional experience when it comes to mental health care? Sure. Thanks for having me today. So uh, a little bit about my history. I did my first internship in social work school at St. Elizabeth's Hospital, which was a psychiatric hospital in DC. I believe it no longer exists. It was for uninsured patients. And then I worked at the Washington Hospital Center for a number of years in shock trauma ER ICU. And then I worked for several agencies where I was a therapist, and then I had my own private practice for a while. And then I kind of did a switch at some point in my career. And right now what I do is I design and teach classes for therapists, and then I also work at the intersection of social groups uh, in terms of having dialogues. And I lead a, a group called Speak Up HOCO of young people in the Howard County high schools who get together to have dialogues about difficult topics. And it's kind of like there's a field called social psychology, which studies a lot about human behavior and how groups and humans interact. But we don't really have anybody that works at that level, the level of groups and the level of society. And I'm trying to find ways to work at that level. And I've learned a lot from one of my friends who is a a consultant, a national consultant and a dialogue trainer. And he lives here in Howard County. His name is Trent Day Hall. And he says that his job is to help us figure out how to human better. So that's kind of like how I like to see it, to help us figure out how to human better. And Rebecca, you've obviously had a lot of experience, as you shared, and kind of how has your perspective on mental health care changed over time, either professionally or personally? Well, I started out like everybody else as a social worker, everybody else in the mental health field in this country, and I was being taught in the construct of the medical model. Although I have to say, I didn't realize it was a model. I just thought it was the way things were. (laughs) And then in 2004, I started a second master's degree called Applied Healing Arts, from a local organization, uh, it's now a university, Maryland University of Integrative Health, and back then it was called Thai Sophia. And they taught acupuncture, herbal medicine, and a number of different medical models and medical care systems from an Asian or Eastern perspective. And they also applied that to the Applied Healing Arts program. And so then I realized that there was another way to do this. Although they weren't teaching us how to go out and be therapists, I was translating in my therapist mind a lot of what I was taught. One of my professors and one of the people who designed the program was John Sullivan, who was a professor at Elon University. 
And he always said, ask of any construct, which is a way of thinking, what does it reveal? Ask of any construct, what does it conceal? Ask of any construct, where is it of use? Ask of any construct, where is it a noose? And then I began looking at the medical model as a model, as a construct. And because we, in the mental health field, we kind of built ourselves on the medical field in the West, we started talking about function and dysfunction and order and disorder, just like the medical field did. And we started diagnosing just like they did. And so that can be very useful, can help us identify where an issue that needs concern is and help us you know, get right at what it is. And it can also shame us by saying something that is just actually the mental equivalent of a sprained ankle, but suddenly now we're talking about the essential me. Okay, and suddenly I'm shamed just because I'm depressed or I have any kind of issue that gets diagnosed. So another way to look at our behavior is as patterns rather than as a function or a dysfunction. Let's look at it as a pattern. And then let's look for what the gifts are and what the challenges are. This lands very differently in our brains and in our hearts. Thank you so much for sharing, Rebecca. Now for our second guest of the day, Ash, would you be able to share a little bit about your mental health journey? Yeah, so just to introduce myself, I'm Ash and I'm a senior at Marriott's Ridge High School. I am super interested in the mental health field. So I do have experience as someone who works in like the, the background. I'm an intern at a psychiatric facility and I'm also, I have experience as being a patient. I've been getting official services since freshman year, so I have navigated the process of getting mental health care because I have run into some obstacles in terms of insurance and, you know, parental consent and those kind of things, but I do have a few years on my belt. So in terms of insurance, I actually wasn't insured until I moved to Maryland my freshman year. So during middle school, that's when some of my mental health concerns did come up. And because I didn't have insurance, I couldn't, I didn't really get access to any sort of mental health care. The only person I really reached out to was like my school counselor. And that's really the most that I had at that time. And I was younger, so I didn't really know the resources that were available to me. Yeah, so in terms of insurance, I didn't start getting treatment until I got insured my freshman year. And also in terms of parental consent, based on just like my culture and my family's values, initially it did take a while for them to kind of absorb the fact that like getting therapy, getting treatment is actually very beneficial based on like what circumstances were going on. So it also did take quite a long time to get them on board. You explained how you obtained mental health care based on certain obstacles, but can you kind of walk us through where you began and sort of the process of obtaining care? Yeah, so it began in seventh grade. I actually wasn't the first one who reached out to the school counselor. It was actually one of my friends. So then the school counselor reached out to me and then she kind of guided me through like what was going on because I didn't have much awareness of what was, I guess, the concern. And then once I started to learn some more about it, Eventually, I just kept seeing her on like a regular basis. But then my freshman year after I moved, I actually personally reached out to my school counselor at the time. And then I mentioned to her that I was uninsured and she wanted me to actually see a therapist, basically. So then she helped me get insurance. And then throughout that process, once I got it, she referred me to 
a practice near my area. And then from there, I started getting official treatment from a therapist and a psychiatrist. How do you feel like based on your age that if like, do you think that your age affected your ability to find this treatment? And if so, how do you feel it affected you? Yeah, so definitely in my younger years, like for example, like I mentioned before, in middle school, I wasn't really, again, aware of what was going on. So in terms of accessing services, I didn't know what type of services to look out for. So definitely when I was younger, it was pretty difficult because I was a bit oblivious. But then now that I'm much older and I'm more aware of what's going on, I do think that accessing resources and services is much easier because I kind of know where to find those resources. Like I can look up places. So yeah, definitely now that I'm a bit older and more aware, I am more easily able to access these services. As I shared from kind of a youth perspective, Rebecca, would you be able to share as an adult what it was like to connect a younger person to mental health care? Sure. Well, Ash actually said a lot of it. So first of all, you got to figure out what their insurance is and what their system is. And then another thing is to prepare them. So again, in our culture and in many cultures, there's a sense of there's something wrong with me. And so then people are reluctant. And so to really do the reframe, as we talked about, like, you know, you are who you are, you are a precious person, and this is not something wrong with you. And then also to to find out, to help them find out, you know, do they have insurance? How does their insurance work? It is a process and it's, we're a very confusing country when it comes to healthcare system. We, you know, there, there are all different kinds of programs and all different kinds of insurance plans. And even one particular family can change an insurance plan from year to year and all of a sudden they're stuck with a new one. So sometimes it's working with the parents to understand what's available. And then it's preparing the student as to what they might face. And so I accompanied somebody close to me at one point to get to a psychiatrist and was astonished that we sat there for an hour while the psychiatrist basically typed on their laptop, asked questions like, looked over like this occasionally, like, so how many times did you think about killing yourself? Oh, and how many times did you, you know, wake up feeling depressed? And all these questions, and it was constantly about what's wrong with you. Never once did she look at this person and say, who are you? Tell me who you are. And then I found out at a second session with a therapist, when I finally said something, I said, what are you doing? Why don't you look at this person? And she said, well, oh, I'm so sorry. We have to, by the end of the time that the person walks out the door, I have to have my note already online. So that's very different from, you know, back in the, you know, horse and buggy days when I started, (laughs) we didn't have computers and you just, you got your notes done and you got them done. And uh, you looked at the person and you asked about their strengths and you said, who are you? So it's also preparing They might get a wonderful person who works on their own and doesn't have outside rules. And then they might get somebody that's got this whole system that you have to go through that makes you feel like you're not even human. So it's getting somebody ready and figuring out what it is. As we've been touching on obstacles from kind of a personal perspective, Leah, I was wondering if you could share some resources that are available for those who are struggling financially to access care. Sure. So I'm Leah Volka. I work at the Howard County Health Department and I work in the Bureau of Behavioral Health. So a lot of what we do within the Behavioral Health Department is help people locate resources and services available to them to meet their needs. And that includes services for folks who are uninsured and underinsured. 
And so when I say underinsured, I mean people who maybe do have health insurance, but the coverage is very limited or unaffordable. And luckily, in a lot of local jurisdictions, either through county government or through the health department and nonprofits, there are grants available that help folks who are facing those barriers access mental health services and substance use services as well. So it's always a good idea for folks, depending on where you live, to reach out to your local health department or your local mental health authority, depending on how your county government is structured. It's different for each jurisdiction, which makes it a little bit challenging. But there are folks at the county level who will help you locate those services that are available. There's also websites. One that I've sent to clients of mine is called Open Path Collective. And this website is just a platform for providers who offer affordable sliding scale fees to make that known to individuals that live in their communities. So you could go online to Open Path Collective and put in your zip code and you'll find providers who are from Howard County that are offering $30 to $60 a session versus what's typical, which would be like $120 to $150 a session for counseling. So there's some nonprofit resources that are out there that people can access as well. And a lot of integrative health clinics that offer both physical health, mental health, and behavioral health services offer sliding scale fees to people. So in Howard County, the clinic that's probably most well known for this is called Chase Brexton, and they have an income-based sliding scale. So if you make a certain amount, you pay this amount, and that way it's affordable to folks based on their income. There are also some free options out there for people who are uninsured. In Maryland, there's a nonprofit that's called Pro Bono Counseling that offers completely free therapeutic resources to folks. The only issue is that it's in very high demand. So to kind of balance out that demand, Pro Bono Counseling and some other agencies have what we call warm lines. So it's not a hotline for crisis. It's a warm line that people can call to get connected with long-term resources and also talk to a professional about whatever immediate feelings they're experiencing or would like addressed. And kind of in that same vein, crisis centers in your local community often have walk-in crisis counseling that's free. So that can be an option for people to get connected with long-term resources and have their immediate needs addressed too. And coming from a teenage perspective, have you used any of these like free resources? Oh, this is a question like directed towards Ash. Have you used any of these like free resources? And how do you feel that they compared to those that you paid for? Yeah, so I have used some free resources. I haven't really used many on like the county level, but in terms of other free resources, I have used the crisis text line. I also, I talk with like my school counselor. And then the one crisis service that I did go to, I actually did go to one. And just based on my experiences, I think it really depends in terms of like going to a crisis service. I think just based on the person's circumstances, the level of honesty that they're willing to engage in, like as in disclosing certain information, I think it does depend on how much the person is willing to share because after all, it's a crisis service. So they want to address what is happening in that moment. Just to ensure like safety and stuff. So just based on my experience, I wouldn't say it was the best because I wasn't very engaging in terms of being super honest and stuff. But in terms of the paid services that I'm getting now, my insurance does cover it. But in terms of the quality or the benefits, I guess, 
I definitely think that the paid services are better because they're more long-term. And I think when you're struggling, long-term services are typically the way to go in terms of addressing what's going on. So yes, paid services were and are better, but the crisis services are also just helpful in general, especially when it's like an emergent need. And Ash, I know you touched on your experience with having insurance as a bit of a barrier and saying that, you know, paid resources have worked better for you. How large of a barrier for you personally do you feel like insurance was? I'd say it was a very large barrier because I think at one point, like once I did get more awareness of it when I was uninsured, I didn't seek any sort of resources in terms of a paid treatment because I knew I was uninsured and I knew financially it would be very hard on my family to access those services. So yes, not having insurance definitely was a very large barrier because I didn't get opened up to all of these services until I got my insurance. Another question for Rebecca specifically, when it comes to like your diagnosis, how do you think the environment that your child specifically is in and the language used can like create stigma? Well, as I said, just because of the fact that it includes the word disorder, the stigma just comes along with it. And particularly in schools, I know that that can be very difficult. And I want to talk just about, like, in order to get it, let's say you have ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and I even, I almost can't say the words anymore because I just dislike them so much. And I can talk a little bit later about how I would rephrase that. But in order to get a 504 and IEP, which are, as many people know, a special services, you have to get an evaluation and, and or a diagnosis, or you won't get the services. And so if you have a child that can't sit still, but you know they're really bright and like they have more energy than you'll ever have, and they have all these gifts, but you have to like, label everything a disorder before you can even try to make a better fit. So rather than look at what's the goodness of fit between this child's personality and how we do school, this is not the only way in the world to do school. This is how we do it. Okay. And again, we forget to think of it as a model or a construct. We think, well, this is the way it is and you don't fit. No, this is a model and there is a personality. Some personalities fit better with one model. Some personalities fit better with another model. So if we can start to reframe that, and when I do talk to kids, it's like, or anybody really, I say that evaluation is the key to get services, okay? Now let's forget it. (laughs) Now let's look at the pattern and let's look for your gifts and let's look for your challenges. And what are the resources that you have that you could think about using in new ways or that resources that you wanna get that you really haven't thought about before? Now you're suddenly in, it's the same thing as math class, for goodness sake. You have a problem to solve, okay? You have an equation, that's not even called a problem. You have an equation to solve and you work around all different kinds of things until you come up with a solution. So if we can start to see it that way, rather than, oh, who are the kids with the problems? It's ridiculous. I think that's definitely a very important thing to consider and taking that perspective, How do you think parents or adults in a child's life can be more understanding of their mental health struggles? Yeah, I think if we empower them to see this differently and to see their child as a beautiful human being with unusual and some common and some uncommon gifts, some common and some uncommon challenges, 
that's who we all are. So if we can teach parents to start to talk to their kids this way, oh, somebody that was very close to me in my life said to me one time, it would have been helpful if you had pointed out what I was good at. Okay, because this person wasn't the best fit with an educational system. And so the educational system was in very unconscious ways and some conscious ways telling him he wasn't the best. And in other ways, he wasn't good enough. And in other places, he was bad. And he got that over and over and over and over throughout his whole history. And if the adults in his life could have been saying to him, oh, I see you did that really cool. Oh, I see that gift in you. Now we start to have a sense of ourselves as a whole person. So for parents, I think that's really, really important to, no matter how your child shows up, to start to help them to start to see themselves in that way as I have gifts, I have challenges, I'm a beautiful human being. And then from that, we strategize. Yeah, I definitely agree that like parents should emphasize the positive aspects, but say that like a parent does deny their child these mental health services when they request it. What do you believe that the child should do? Yeah, go to another trusted adult. And I think Ash talked about her journey. So you can, there's counselors in the school. There might be a teacher that you particularly know and like, and it might be a friend to say, you know, can I go talk to your parent? So you deserve to find a road to create more inner peace and more sense of yourself. So See who else you can find that can help you start to strategize. And maybe another parent could talk to your parent in a way that you can't. So, or maybe a teacher or a counselor could do that, you know, a school counselor, you know, they're in every school. So they're there. Yeah. Find somebody. So I know there's been some changing legislation regarding how teens can access mental health care. So I was wondering, Leah, could you touch on that a little bit? Thanks, Katrina. Yes, I just want to draw everyone's attention that a bill was passed to make it so that teens who are over 12 years old can now consent to receive mental health services when needed without parental consent. So I would definitely encourage you to follow Rebecca's advice if you have any concerns with your own mood or behavior to reach out to another trusted adult who can help you get connected with services. And sort of regarding speaking to trusted adults, I know Ash, you touched on this a little bit, but to either Rebecca or Ash, how do you think your culture can affect your accessibility to care and resources? Yeah, I can talk about that. So basically with my culture, mental health isn't something that's seen as very serious. It's often very overlooked and seen as like an issue that shouldn't be addressed through like therapy and it's shameful to get therapy. And I think initially, like in middle school, when everything started, culture did play a role because just based on the stigma that my family had, they basically didn't want me to get any type of services. They were like almost ashamed of it. But over time, I just like the more I talked with them, the more I had some of my trusted adults to talk with them. They did start slowly getting more accepting of the mental health services. So this took a very long time though, but culture definitely does play a role because I also know of many other people who kind of internalize that stigma because of that culture, which ultimately prevents them from getting the treatment that they need or that they want. So yes, culture is definitely a large uh, factor in getting treatment. Yes. And I, I could add to that, that I think just about every culture I'm familiar with has some sense of that because of how we talk about it. 
So even in this culture, I don't, I don't know how many people that I know who were embarrassed by a diagnosis they got. So, I mean, it, it's in every culture. And then in some Asian cultures, yeah, it is just simply doesn't exist hardly. I, uh, my husband grew up in Vietnam and he was explaining to me how many, not all, we're not, no, no one culture, everybody is the same. So I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about everybody, but that a lot of people in Vietnam, he said it would be a huge family embarrassment if someone said that they had a mental health issue. And he said, it would mean that there was something wrong with you and that the parents screwed up. And so I said, well, what would you do if you were noticing your child had a problem? He said, well, you would try to figure out who in your family you knew that would be really good at maybe strategizing something. So go to aunt so-and-so or uncle so-and-so or grandma or, and like, no, don't go beyond family. And we have family members who still live in Vietnam. And I was checking with somebody about something that they had, were talking about. And she said, I don't even know that we still have a mental health system. She had never, ever heard of a therapist in Vietnam. This was a 30-year-old woman. So in some countries, it's just not known. I think we're soon about to end, but I would like to say one thing as we end in sort of my takeaway that I would love to give to everyone is there is nothing wrong with the essential you, and we need every you in this world. And if you haven't figured out how to love yourself, that's a challenge. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us today for this important conversation about mental health and accessibility to treatment. If you would like to learn more about local resources, please visit howardcountymd.gov slash get help or our website teenhealthmatters.org. As always, if you or a loved one are in crisis, please call the grassroots hotline at 410-531-6677 or text HOME to 741-741. And we'll see you next time for our podcast. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.